and, and my kids, kids both have a special relationship uh, with her, which was awesome. Okay, okay so, so I named this thing uh, Entangled Quantum Informed Prayer because I knew that as soon as you saw this slide and you saw the title, you know, you would know exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> nope, nope, not really. So I thought I should have named it this, Praying in the Quantum Era, because then you would certainly know what I'm talking about. But, but I found out that, that probably wasn't good either. So, so I should have really gone with praying post-Merlin Genie Santa paradigms. <laughs> because that's what we're talking about. Uh, the entire Bible was written in a Ptolemaic age uh, where the cosmology of the day had God literally up there in the sky because that's where heaven was. And a, a steel dome covered what we could see and kept the rains from coming out you know, from above because... Just beyond, beyond that dome was just a bunch of water, water. and that's, that's how we got rain, rain is God opened the door a little bit. That's how they saw the world back then. So when they prayed, they literally prayed to God up there. We don't have that cosmology anymore. We're very aware uh, that God may have been that generative force behind creation, but it did not happen in seven literal days. It happened and is still happening billions of years later and continues to expand. How do we pray when God is no longer up there because there is no up there? How do we pray when God is everywhere, in us, with us? How do we do it? And if God's not, you know, the wish master here, who we just got to get our lives right and then God will finally, you know, let us hit the jackpot, how, what's prayer about? How do we do it? And if God's not controlling, if God is not breaking in in history uh, to save the day in ways that we used to think, uh, what is God's involvement in the world? Those are the things that we're going to unpack theologically, biblically, and, uh, and give you some tools. So in the back, uh, sitting next to Jim back there on a the table, there's a book, and I highly recommend you get it. Uh, it's 10 bucks. That's always our deal here. Every book we uh, sell is always 10 bucks, even if it costs us more. This one actually costs us exactly $10, so you're not saying anything. You get this on Amazon if you'd rather go that way. There's no digital version of this, which I let the author know is not happy about, but that's okay. Um, what I like about this book uh, is that it gives you seven weeks of daily readings that are going to help you get in the zone with God in our theological space. It uh, gives you some thoughts at the beginning of each week to kind of frame the week, and then a very short, like, two-page reading, uh, one just thoughts for the day, and some affirmations to kind of carry with you through the day, and then um, a prayer uh, to help get you going and help you think in, in different ways. So I hope you'll do this. I'm not going to be teaching the book necessarily. I'll probably hit on the themes of the book each week, but I'm going to be doing it with you. Uh, I already did it. Uh, I wanted to preview it first. I read the whole thing. I think it's really, really good. I think it'll be really, really helpful. Some of the front matter I'm going to cover with you today, uh, so you know that. But I hope you'll do that. Uh, and if you don't have 10 bucks and you promise to give us 10 bucks next week, that's fine, because I'd love for you to get started on this uh, right away. So that's in the back of the, of the auditorium. There it is, the front and back cover. Uh, and what I want to share with you are some of the affirmations that uh, Bruce Epperly, uh, the author of this book, uh, who's a highly regarded uh, theologian and author. He's written somewhere between 70 and 90 books. I met him at a conference in July, and he wasn't exactly sure how many because he's written so many books. Uh, and he was not only a, 
theologian and taught uh, at the university level, uh, but he was also a pastor. And when I went to the conference, you know, I saw how much he'd written, and I was honestly a, a little nervous because I was thinking, okay, this guy is kind of a big deal in this open and relational theological world. He's written a lot of stuff. He speaks all over the world, which means he could be a real pompous jerk. <laughs> and so uh, when I finally heard him speak, I just let out this great sigh of relief. Because as you'll see uh, from a segment of an interview that I uh, gave him uh, Friday, uh, this guy is just down to earth. He's a regular human being. It turns out he comes from our same uh, camp. He, he was born into the same denomination that our church is still connected to, which is really cool. But just to lay the groundwork so that we have an understanding of our, our space and understanding our worldview, who God is and who we are as players in this world of prayer, he offers these affirmations. This is going to be a little bit of fire hose moment for you, okay? So I'm just going to blow through them. If you buy the book, you can read these same statements and think on them. But this is a series of affirmations about the world in which we live. And so, in contrast to some of the principles of a Ptolemaic yesteryear, uh, yester millennia of you, we understand that our world is a dynamic, ever-evolving process. It's still going. And relationship is primary to reality. What that means is that the relationship of one thing to the other is part of the unfolding process of all the expanding creation. We live in a world characterized by dynamic interdependence. In other words, we don't do anything alone, nothing. We are constantly uh, dependent on each other, and everything else is affected by us. We live in a universe of experience, and this includes non-humans as well as humans. So we recognize we're not the only beings in this world. Uh, this is a little bit confusing. second statement helps with this. Value is coextensive with experience and reality, meaning every creature has value and deserves ethical consideration apart from human interest. That means we care about the animals. We care about the plants, we care about the air, we care about water, uh, the whole thing. Uh, creativity and freedom are essential to reality, including the non-human world. Uh, and the future is open, and our actions make a difference in shaping the world to come. This is one of those mind benders that when I first started uh, teaching about this, uh, a lot of us were not sure how to feel about this, because I was essentially saying... Not even God knows exactly what the future holds with specificity. Because we have free will, we have choice in the matter. And that means every moment things are changing. If you're going to bet with anybody, bet with God. Because God can see the, the trends better than anybody else being connected to everybody. But it is philosophically and theologically impossible. If God really gave us free will, it is impossible for God to know the exact future. Which is a little startling at first, but it's okay. Because now we get into some affirmations about God's nature. Everybody okay, by the way? Anybody need a break? Coffee? All right. Uh, so, about God's nature. God is present everywhere and in all things. You've heard me say that lots. Uh, God experiences everything. And God's ongoing experience of the world is constantly growing in relationship to an evolving universe. This means... God's understanding of reality is also growing. God continues to learn, if you will, because God is in relationship with all these free agents, and they're constantly moving and growing. So God's experience grows along with us. Uh, this may not seem like that big of a deal uh, to you. That's a theological whopper. 
uh, some of the patriarchs of the theological past in classic Christianity uh, would die on a hill challenging that. Because they would say, even if you think you are somehow affecting God, you are not affecting God at all. God is distant. He may be loving, but he really is not interested in relationship with you. Uh, it just might feel like it when you pray, but God really doesn't care. And their theology, and classic theology, Christian theology, uh, the future's already set. God already knows what everything's going to happen. You can pray as much as you want. It's not really going to change anything because God has it all in control. But that's not a relationship. Relationship means that we affect each other. And our open and relational theology really leans into that. Although God influences all things, God's power is best understood in terms of love rather than coercion or domination. God does not force God's self on us. In all things, God works for good, even life's most challenging situations. If you want God's power, is persuasive and invitational, not coercive. They call forward as the source of possibilities and ideals appropriate to every occasion of experience and our whole lifetimes. And our board is going to be getting together in a couple weeks to do a little bit of future future earring. That doesn't make sense. But you know, imagining about what our future is going to look like and vision stuff. And the reality is we need to constantly talk about possibilities and not certainties, potentialities and not certainties. So we have hopes and dreams for what Crosswalk might be, but we can't control all the agents. There could be another COVID. There could be another financial crisis. There could be who knows what. And so we have to stay open with all that stuff and just be open to the persuasive and invitational call forward coming from God. The future is open for God as well as us, uh, and God needs us to be partners in God's dream of world transformation. This is because God does not have hands and feet. We are hands and feet. And God, since God does not break in uh, from somewhere outside but is already within, while God may be persuading and nudging and calling us forward, it's us who respond to that call, forward to do something with the power and strength of God behind us. Okay, so what does this mean for us in our spiritual journey? Uh, well, it means that God is present in our lives as the still small voice. Uh, that comes from the Old Testament and the story with uh, Elijah. Speaking in our size too deep for words, that comes from the Apostle Paul uh, from the book of Romans. Uh, so these things are, are biblical, they're there. Our spiritual practices bring God's unique and personal visions for our lives and the world to consciousness. So that's, that's what we're helping bring about. When we say, thy kingdom come, that's what we're asking for, is for the, the imagination, the presence of God, the strength of God, uh, to come into reality. When we pray, we align ourselves with God's vision for us and experience greater divine energy slash presence. So we open ourselves to that. And final bullet point uh, thing for the moment. Uh, more on our spiritual journeys. Our prayers in an interdependent universe create a field of force. I know that sounds a little sci-fi. Create a field of force that enables God to be more active in our lives and the lives of those for whom we pray. And our prayers create new possibilities for divine and human activities and may influence the non-human world in amazing ways. These two statements may seem uh, clunky in spiritual terms because you don't hear this kind of language necessarily being used uh, in more classic theology. And yet the principles of it are absolutely there. 
Uh, when you read the book of James in our New Testament, it says the, the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Another word to think about that is the prayers of the mature. The prayer of the spiritually mature are powerful and effective. They are saying, James is saying, Jesus' brother, that our prayers make a difference. How many of you believe that prayers make a difference? Yeah. And I heard, man, by the way, uh, Crosswalk Moth last week. Unbelievable. Did you? Was that a cool experience for you? Oh, my gosh. That was so cool. And I thank you for sharing your stories. They're up on YouTube if you want to go revisit those. But I heard many stories about how you experience God entering into the equation. I would challenge your, your perception and say God did not break in. God was already there. And things aligned in such a way that God could speak to you. You were open to see it. Other agents involved came together in that moment. This is what happens when we are awake, when we're conscious of what God is trying to do in the world. The reality is we're not exactly sure just how prayer works, but we're confident in our experience that it does. Somebody just the other day uh, was telling me that uh, they were praying for a friend uh, who was really, really struggling and really wasn't that interested in church. And that friend was getting through his stuff and uh, I think it was a good crosswalker, uh, reached out to that person and said, hey, we've been praying for you. And this guy who really wasn't too sure about God said, I could feel your prayers. I've heard that so many times from people who are going through uh, physical problems. Kim Gagoda, I remember, he would say that all the time. I would say, we're praying for you, Ken, and he would say, I feel your prayers. I've heard that so many times to give a strength, healing, support, direction. We don't know how it works, but we know there's something going with this. You know, one of the things why I call this quantum-informed uh, prayer uh, is one of the crazy, wacky things that we've learned uh, from quantum physics. <laughs> is that, is that some, some of the Newtonian ways of thinking about the world no longer apply when you go deeper and deeper and deeper. One of those weird, wacky things is when you, and you've heard me say this before, so you get to hear it again, but when you get down to a subatomic level and you split whatever it is you split at that subatomic level, uh, Newtonian physics would suggest that once you've split those things, what you do with this half over here will have no effect on this half over here. But in quantum physics, they've learned that it doesn't matter how far away you separate these things, 10 feet, 10 miles, 10,000 miles, halfway across the galaxy, when you mess with this one in a particular way, in fact, you can just weird that. Let's say you do something to make this one over here turn, this half over here turn clockwise. The one 10,000 miles away at exactly the same time reacts but turns counterclockwise. Weird stuff. Well, what does that tell us about how we're connected? How does that spark our imagination on how we may impact with the presence of God if we're motivated not by the fish in the pond, but we're motivated by the very Spirit of God to lead us in our prayers, and our true north is to follow the model of Jesus. Who knows what is possible just because we choose to pray, what we are attuned with or aligned with. It's quite remarkable. Now, when I was in college, I was a psych major, and uh, our psych professor had us do this weird exercise. And when it started, I was like, this isn't going to work. 
but he had us pair up, up uh, with, with another student in the class, and, and uh, he just told us to, to stand like right next to each other. other. At first he said, all right, I want you to touch your hands like this. And so we touched each other's hands like this. He said, okay, if you feel any kind of energy with that. So we had to kind of be patient and we could kind of feel that energy. He said, okay, I want you to just take your hands apart from each other and focus on that energy that you feel between each other because we have energy flowing through us at all times. And so uh, we felt it. And then he said, I want you to take a step back. And focus on keeping that energy. Don't let it break. And back. And back. Well, me and my partner got 20 feet away from each other, and we're still feeling this palpable energy between us. What is that saying? What is that saying about our influence on each other and our capacity to influence the created worlds? That's what I mean by quantum, uh, quantum informed. And entangled is exactly what it sounds like. You may not know this. You may think you're a tangled mess. And I'm, and I'm here to tell, to tell you, you, you are. <laughs> you really are. You are, you are entangled with everything and everyone in some ways and to varying degrees. You are connected to each other, obviously most with those closest to you, but you are connected to the whole. It impacts you. You impact it. That's pretty profound. One of the things I wanted to do, because today is strictly introductory, is I wanted you to hear the author's voice. And, and so, so when, when I was at, at uh, this conference in July, um, after, after conversation with him, I asked if, uh, if he'd be open to an interview, and uh, he was. So you're going to hear from him throughout the series uh, two or three more times, and I think you're going to love this guy. Uh, so I asked him, the first question was just to give us his background on what uh, caused him to move from a more classic uh, Christian understanding of things to a more open and relational or, or process is uh, what he calls it, which is under the umbrella of open and relational theology. So here is Bruce Everly. Well, I'm, I'm a, a cradle Baptist. Uh, I grew up at the formerly American Baptist Church. It's now an independent church, Community Baptist Church in King City, California. I don't know what it's known as today. Uh, I grew up there. My father was the pastor. Uh, we were probably an evangelical church. Uh, we had revivals every summer, and I came forward at a revival meeting in the Grand Baptist fashion. Uh, about nine or ten years old, with a dateable conversion experience with tears in my eyes and, and uh, coming forward uh, at the Roundup for God. And, and, and that, that, that stuck, stuck with me for a while, and it's still important to my experience. Uh, I found that my faith, interestingly enough, was just deconstructed probably when I was 11 years old. Uh, that's a little early, I realize. I'm an early bloomer. Uh, when my dad uh, was uh, terminated from the church, probably because he was a little too liberal. And, uh, uh, and we moved to San Jose. He ended up being a security guard. Uh, I, couldn't I couldn't even go in a church without feeling suffocated. Uh, and so I more or less uh, dropped out of church and, and found my spirituality during the summer of love and, and that sort of experience in the Bay Area. Uh, in 1970, as a college freshman at College of Saturday State, uh, I learned uh, Transcendental Meditation. And decided, and decided to go, go back, back to church at Great Grace, Grace Baptist, Baptist in San Jose. And it's, and it's amazing what a pastor can do. We had two great pastors, John Akers and Shorty Collins. Uh, John was a religious seeker, 
and he and I enrolled in a class on process theology when I was a sophomore in college. I was always a spiritual seeker, even as a 10-year-old, as a 9-year-old. And, and, and process theology gave me a worldview. Uh, I don't think I ever was burdened as a Christian child with, the, with worries about omnipotence, uh, with worries about uh, God hating me if I went astray. I mean, I, I did have the fear of hell. That's a good Baptist, Baptist virus, the fear of hell. Uh, but, but I didn't intellectually believe in it. And, and process theology gave me something to believe in. It gave me a, a sense of uh, God's presence in an intimate and personal way. Uh, it's interesting. You oftentimes think of process theology as an open relational theology, this kind of pointy-headed intellectual stuff. But, but for me, the, the God of process theology uh, was a personal God. Uh, this was a God who, who t beyond the... Um, a complexity of philosophical or theological language really was involved in my experience that I did have a vision. I don't use the word plan because it sounds somewhat coercive or deterministic, but had a vision for my life and also felt what was going on. Interesting enough, I think the process, process theology is more congruent with those old Baptist hymns than the Calvinist theology, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus, all my sins and griefs to prayer, what a privilege to come to Jesus in prayer, you know, he walks with me, and he talks with me, he tells me I am his own, that's, that's process theology, and that preaches, I mean, you can't let the conservatives have those old hymns of faith, now there's a few of the, few of the verses in some of those hymns that we just soon get rid of, you know, but that sense of the personal relationship of, of, with Jesus, I was walking in my pre-dawn walk this morning. I try to walk before the city wakes up uh, and uh, 5, 5.30 in the morning. And for some reason, how great thou art was on my mind. So I went humming along with how great thou art in my little neighborhood, townhouse neighborhood, and, and the woods around us. And, and, you know, you think of that, the wonder of the universe, and God through the rocks and the woods I wander. Uh, and that's process theology. Uh, you know, we might uh, be challenged with challenge the eschatology of that, the sense when Christ shall come, you know, and take me home. Uh, Christ is already here. We're already home. Uh, we don't have to be taken home. We have to realize we are at home. And so that became the beginning of a real theological journey and, and initially, the journey was primarily intellectual. Uh, uh, it became a spiritual journey. And probably for the last 30 years, I've seen it as my goal. I first encountered process theology, good Lord, 1970, so that's 50, 53 years ago and, and, uh, uh, as a sophomore in college. Uh, Something like that, 72 probably, so it's 51 years ago. It's now become something that I really live with. I believe that theology should be lived. It should be experienced. It should affect the way you look at the world. Again, when I was a college kid, I was introduced to Charles Sheldon's In His Steps by the other, if you ask some of the old Baptists who are still alive in the 
in the, the, in the, in the uh, association. Um, they'll, they'll know the name Shorty Collins, George Rail Shorty Collins. He's an old social gospeler, and he was the, the Baptist retired college chaplain there. And he was an old social gospeler, you know. Uh, in his steps, that sense of, of of asking Jesus what to do whenever you have to take a make a decision, and really living that process theology, and living that sense that. Uh, uh, God is, is speaking to us, as the UCC says, my other denomination, uh, I have three, the Baptist, UCC, and Disciples, God is still speaking, and that we can live this, and we can have spiritual practices. Uh, just one last word. Uh, one of the things that motivated me to the book Pray with Process Theology is that I, I believe that too often theology has been the... Uh, province of theologians. Uh, of course, everyone's a theology. My theologian, my grandchildren are theologians. Uh, they, you know, my, I was doing an exercise for about two weeks uh, with my, my oldest grandson, who just turned 13, about what questions do you want to ask? And one of his questions was, you know, what, what, was, their, what was there before there was anything? He's already a theologian because he asked the question, which, you know, why, Why are, are we, we here, period? period? Why, Why is, you know, what, what, what was before God? Uh, and we're all theologians, but the professional theologians have often practiced the conspiracy against the laity uh, by using language that lay people can't understand. Uh, so my belief, and the reason I wrote that book, was that very few theologians took seriously the spiritual uh, aspects of process theology and produced resources that... that non-professionals could use and, and, and serve a couple purposes. Serve the purpose, one, of learning theology in an easy way. You know, the, the theology, theology doesn't have to be difficult. One of my uh, affirmations is that if a lay person can understand it, so can a theologian. So can a professional. Uh, and I wanted to teach the, the, the practice, practice of, of process theology, theology uh, in, in, in an easy way, way not, a, not a simplistic way, way but an easy way, way that any of the lay person could, could learn. I also wanted to provide uh, practices that would help people grounded in their daily experience and be, you know, process theology is, is a mystical theology, and by the term mysticism, I, I want to demystify mysticism. Uh, uh, Mysticism is simply our awareness of, of the divine of God where we are. Uh, and in process thought, God is always moving in our lives, and we can encounter that movement in our lives. And, and so we're all potentially mystics. Very good. So that gives you his voice inside your head. You'll hear more from him in weeks to come. Um, I just, I just I really appreciate him. him. I think he is a down-to-earth guy. Uh, his heart's in the right place. He has no errors about him, even though he probably should. And I really appreciate what he had to say. I want to remind you that we at Crosswalk are a Christian church, and we are Jesus followers. That's our goal. Our tagline for many years has been, Go Be Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, when it comes to prayer, just be aware of this. Uh, that Jesus integrated solitude into his rhythm, so this being still and quiet and alone 
recognizing that uh, he's the pawn, not the fish in the pond, that kind of stuff was a part of his world. Uh, he encouraged us to ask, seek, and knock. So he's not saying to avoid those things about our prayer life. Uh, he said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Uh, knock, and the door will be open to you. And I think he meant it. It may not be exactly the answers we may have been hoping for, but when we do this, he's, he's assuming that something is going to happen with that. Uh, his model for prayer, which we'll get to in a moment, had much more to do with attunement than atonement. We have focused so much energy on atonement and getting right with God. And, and Jesus was saying that in a very different way. Getting right with God means getting in tune with God. Being aware of what God is calling us to do and who we're called to be. That's attunement. And his final prayer uh, that his followers would be was this. That his followers would be connected, one with God like he was, and that they would continue his work. His prayer was, God, Abba, Daddy, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. Which means that he assumed that it was possible. What does, what does it mean, mean for us to be Jesus followers then when it comes to prayer? It means that we follow in his footsteps. And this may be a new learning curve. This may be stretchy time. But I think it will be very profitable. And I think it will be a maturing thing for us to go through this together and to try it on precise. So I challenge you before we move on to our rendition of the Lord's Prayer here. I challenge you in a very loving way <laughs> uh, to get the book uh, first couple of the first sections just a few pages on theological stuff and then you get into the daily stuff I, I also want to tell you uh, don't read this like I read it the first time I was reading it the preview to make sure there weren't any landmines uh, that I needed to be aware of before I made you all read it there aren't uh, I wanted I just wanted to buzz through it um, don't do that uh, read one day at a time uh, get through the front matter of the first section, that's just a handful of pages, and then start week one, day one, today or tomorrow, and just see what it does for you. Uh, that was one of the best pieces of advice my dad, uh, who was also a pastor, uh, gave me, and it was a piece of advice that he gave other uh, congregants in his ministry, his people who wondered if prayer worked at all, and he would just say, just try it. Try it on for size. Try it a new way and just see what happens. Because he knew, just like Jesus is promising here, that something was going to happen. Okay. Uh, before we do the Lord's Prayer, I don't always do this, but I want to give you the opportunity uh, if you want. Any questions you have as we enter into this series? Anything you're curious about as we go forward? Be about why I screw up songs, why I take my sandals off, whatever, whatever it may be. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, as you know, uh, this is a rendition of the Lord's Prayer, and this was informed by a scholar's um, scholarship. His name is John Cobb. Um, this is partly what he created, and I changed a few words to make it a little bit more uh, crosswalky. Uh, but let me just walk this through before we say it together. So we start off, instead of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, uh, it's our loving, supportive, holy Abba, because that is how Jesus would have recognized who he was praying to. Your presence is here and everywhere. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
um, John Cobb, the, the scholar, tells us to shift away from kingdom language because it gets to an imperial place like we're in, and it's coming, we know, with force. And really what, what Jesus is talking about in his day and age, had he would not have been for empire, right? Uh, he was feeling the oppression of the Roman Empire. So what he's really getting at is a divine commonwealth where there's agreement uh, with us and shared responsibility. That's what it means. Uh, may your will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. So that's the give us this day our daily bread. Uh, and it's to recognize, realizing that Jesus was very poor and so were his followers. That that was a genuine prayer, and it was assumed that if we had a little bit to share, we were going to share it with others and make sure people didn't go hungry. We're trying to do the same thing. Um, Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Really has to do with this. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound, and may we foster shalom everywhere. That's that's what that phrase means. And then finally, uh, and you know what shalom is, right? That is deep well-being. That's maturity. That's that is the essence of what the Greek word that gives us salvation is about. It's a deepening connection with God, a deepening wholeness in our lives. That's exactly what the Jewish uh, people were about, and Jesus was Jewish. And finally, strengthen us for the work to which we're called, and amen simply means may it be so. So this was not meant to be just a prayer that we memorize and say at the end of recovery meetings, <laughs> which they do, and it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. This was a model. This is a way to think about entering our world with God by our side and in our lungs. So with that all said, uh, let's, let's say, say it together. together. Our, Our loving, supportive, holy Abba, your, your presence is here and everywhere. May your divine commonwealth come. May your will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound. May we foster shalom everywhere. Strengthen us for the work to which we are called. Amen. May it be so. Hope you had, Hope you had a good experience. experience. We will see, see you next week. week. Buy, Buy the book, the book and, and read it. it. Thanks, Thanks for coming. coming.